eight incredible verses. It's, it's ironic how some people can say so much in such a little window of time. I've been invited by J103 to do five 60-second 60 60 spots throughout the calendar month and that they will air them randomly at no cost to this church or no cost to this ministry. And so I have been trying to see how much I can say in 60 seconds. And I, I, I realize I'm not saying very much in 60 seconds, but I've seen guys like Carl Richardson, Ford and Faith, I've seen him wind down 60 seconds and present the whole plan of salvation. And so we're gonna, we're gonna practice on it. But the Apostle Paul said so much in so little space, so little time. My thought today, or actually I, I believe I have about nine questions for you and they're very short questions with very short answers. But my question, the first question I'd like to ask you today, are you ready? What are you addicted to? What are you addicted? The word addicted in Webster's dictionary means devoted, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly given over to. So for the fun of it, I just thought I would come up with a couple of things to, to, to just put in your repertoire of habits and see if you're habitual in any of these areas. Are you addicted to any of these things? Anybody in the building addicted to coffee? Uh, in the morning, it's very humorous. Pastor Ronald will get up. What's that song? Strangers, strangers exchanging glances, ships in the night. She will go one way, I will go one We don't grunt, we don't wave, we don't nod, we don't do things. She goes to her teapot, and I go to my one cup carrig, one cup at a time, and about 10 minutes later, she'll say, good morning, dear. I'll say, I'll say, hey, baby, what can I do to take pressure off you today? That's usually how our day starts. But you don't, don't talk to me before coffee. But you know what is so ironic? I can get up at five o'clock in the morning, go deer hunting, Man, I'm wide awake, I'm alert, I'm ready to go, but there's just something about everyday life. If I don't get that, and usually it takes three cups. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost. I texted several of my friends this morning. My garden, my garden's in full bloom. I got about 30 different perennials in full bloom. And I went out this morning, my garden, I drank my coffee, and I said, what a, what a cool place just to hang out with the Lord. But don't you thank God for coffee? Where's, where's my coffee addict? Any coffee addicts in the building? Then I, I wrote down, I said, how, how many of you are addicted to Dr. Pepper? I have two people in my life. Austin's got his hand up. I have two people, I'm not exaggerating, I have two people in my life. One was addicted to Pepsi and one was addicted to Dr. Pepper. Both of them completely quit Pepsi and Dr. Pepper and within 30 some odd days, they lost 30 pounds. Literally just by not drinking Dr. Pepper or not drinking um, uh, Pepsi. How many Red Bull NOS addicts do we have in the building? How many, you cannot go without a Red Bull or go without a NOS? Thank you, Calvin, for your honesty. How many, how many, don't lift your hand on this one. How many are addicted to tobacco? How many, uh, tobacco is a part of your life. You cannot live your day without tobacco. And I've got one here, and Micah, that's about to change. We're gonna roll. You have cut down from two packs to how many? Half a pack? Every two and a half days. So you're about, about eight. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. You see, you got to start somewhere. To finish something, you got to start. And, and on the pay trip, Mel Gibson told his kids before the ambush, aim small, miss small. Don't make a big New Year's Eve declaration of what you're going to do and never follow up on it. But start, start in small chunk. Just make small decisions and follow up those and then surround yourself with people that will encourage you in those areas. How many in the in the building are addicted to TV? How many TV addicts do we have? How many I Love Lucy addicts do we have? Where is our our uh, uh, help me Andy Griffith? Uh, Pastor Scott is addicted to Andy. Terry Lee's addicted to Andy. I got people in my life, they can't live their day if they don't watch at least one version of I, I Love Lucy. Where's our I Love, any I Love Lucy fans? How about American Idol? Any American Idol fans in the building? You're addicted. You, you do not come Wednesday night because you don't have DVR and you don't pre-record and you stay home and watch American Idol. How many uh, Facebook texting addicts do we have? Um, Monday, I was watering the garden and my droid fell out of my pocket and we did everything you're supposed to do. We put it in rice and we did the microwave and we did everything. 
but it still died. It crashed and burned. So I went to Verizon that night about 8 o'clock, and I, and I made the necessary arrangements, and then I called Pastor Ron about eight times Tuesday morning. Is my phone there yet? Is my phone there yet? So I'm around 2 o'clock overnight. They shifted. So I actually went 22 hours without texting. I was so pleased with myself. I was so impressed. But when I got my phone back, there were like 80 texts and 20 voicemails. So it's your fault I'm addicted, not mine. You're the one that, that makes me answer all those texts and solves all those problems. Prescription drugs. How many of you are addicted to music? When you get in your car, it's got to be your station and nobody else's station. You can't live without your rock and roll, your country western. Where were you at in the building? I only had 10, but I thought I would just add two more. And, and, and number 11, how many are addicted to not just shopping, but spending? I mean, you cannot go to Walmart without spending $100. You don't go to Lowe's and just spend 10 bucks. When you go, you spend, and then you get home, you realize you forgot to get what you went after because you got distracted by the fishing lures and by the plant department. Can anybody relate to what pastor is saying? And how many are addicted to their job? How many workaholics do we have in this building? See, the only difference between a workaholic and an alcoholic is a spelling. Both of those aren't able to spend quality time with the kids and things they like to do in ministry. On the, on the flip side, look somebody say, thank God there's a, there's a good side. How many are addicted to worship? You cannot go without playing your worship music. You cannot go without almost every hour lifting your hands. Sidlow Baxter said, rarely do I pray an hour a day, but there's not an hour goes by that I don't pray. How many are addicted to prayer? and praise. You cannot go without praying, without talking. You can't go without praising. Uh, how many are addicted to helping with the needs of others? There's just a place in your heart, ministry of help. You can't stand for somebody to go without. You can't stand for somebody to carry things that are heavy. You try to help them try to open the door for the widow and, and, the, and the wheelchair. Where, where are my food pantry clothes closet? You cannot go grocery shopping. I miss something. Don't you get to be having fun without? <laughs> Food. Well, that's coming up. That's coming up. Oh, I forgot that in your addiction, how many, how, where, where is our, our, our closet eater? Where's our, you're addicted to food. You can't go without, oh, there's angels on us, Calvin's on us, um, um, Everett's on us, all, all the youth are honest. Uh, let me tell you what I've learned about a teenager. They never get full, they just get tired. They eat till they're tired, they take like a nap, come back, eat some more. It's incredible. I don't know where they put all that food. Where are, Where's our food pantry? You cannot go grocery shopping without picking up a box of macaroni and cheese or a jar of peanut butter. You, you always, every week, bring food to the church and you're worried about the food pantry. And you go with your closet and, and you don't give away old stuff, but you give away good stuff because you want the widow and the orphan to have the very best. Where, where, where are those that are addicted to that? And then I've got this, I've got this on, my, on my list of where are those that are addicted just studying the word, you're addicted to it. You, you're, you're always listening to tapes, you're always reading books, you're always taking notes. Pastor Rhonda is addicted to studying the word. I've never seen anybody, she didn't preach, she was gonna preach this week, but she studied Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I don't know what that's all about, but she, she has always got some books out. She's got T.D. Jakes playing. There's, we got worship going upstairs. I, I got in the car and she had, she had me set up with Larnell Harris all ready to bless me. And Christy and I got in a fight over whether she was going to listen to Bruno Mars or we were going to listen to God be the glory. And I think Bruno Mars won out because there were three against me and I was driving. They were messing with the radio. Where is our people that are addicted to witnessing or encouraging? You cannot stand to go throughout the day without telling someone about the Lord. Or you just, you're just got the, you, you pick up the phone, you call people, you encourage them, you realize they're down, they're missing, they're not here, they're going through a storm, and you are encouraged. Thank you, James, for your honesty. We need, we need more people that are excited about witnessing and about encouraging. So those, there's some questions that I just wanted to ask. What are you addicted to? And I want to, I want to bring to your attention, I want to stay with, with my notes today because I think they really are good note. The second question I'd like to ask, are you ready? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Several years ago when Haley's Comet passed by our hemisphere, there were a group of people, I think about 30, that they thought that was the second coming of the Lord and they got in a second story apartment and all of them committed suicide expecting to ride that comet out. I would say they weren't fans. I would say they were followers. 
Several years ago, most of us saw the tragedy, over 900 people that drank the Kool-Aid with Jim Jones. I would say they were not fans. I would say that they were followers. I know, I know here in this room, we have fans of American Idol. I was reading something about the Who. You remember the Who? And I was, I was reading something about some of their journaling, and they were talking about the groupies, and they were talking about that every city they went to in concert, the same people would show up, and they would go party with the band after the con concert. You can imagine where all that went out. They weren't fans. They were followers. Are you a fan of Jesus Christ? Or are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? And notice what I did not ask you. I did not ask you if you go to church. I didn't ask you if your parents or grandparents are Christians. I didn't ask you, did you raise your hand at the end of the sermon one time? Did you repeat a prayer after a preacher or altar worker? Did you walk forward during a 12-minute version of just as I am? Do you own three or more Bibles? Have you ever appeared in a church directory? Did you grow up going to vacation Bible school or church camp? Is your ringtone a worship song? How many ringtone worship songs do we have in the building? When you pray, are you able to utilize five or more synonyms for God? Can, can don't mess with me. I can keep going. I got a list here. Have you ever worn witness wear? Is a King James Bible the only real version of the Bible? Have you ever kissed dating goodbye? Under religious views, does your Facebook page say you're a Christ follower? Did you dog Harry Potter and rave about Lord of the Rings? Did you get a purpose-driven life in 40 days or less? Do you say bless their heart before speaking badly about someone? <laughs> Do you understand the phrases of traveling mercies and sword drill? Do I have a friend in the house. I didn't ask you those questions. I didn't ask you, does your grandmother pray? I didn't ask you, are you a member of the Baptist church? I didn't ask you, do you, do you have a fish on your, on your car? I asked you, are you a fan or are you a follower? I learned a new phrase this week. I did not know what DTR meant. Does anybody not know what DTR means? You don't know what it means? Lift your hand. Cool. I, I didn't know either. You don't, Pastor Todd doesn't remember. DTR means defining the relationship. Before too long, when a guy and a girl starts dating, the question's always going to come up, where are we going with this? Are we headed to an altar? Are we headed to spend the rest of our life together? What, 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 what's, going to, what's happening with this relationship? A lot of times in friendship, that conversation will come up, and we will go and be very careful who you enter into covenant with. There are very few, I can count on this hand who I'm in covenant with. The first was my wife. Very few people am I in covenant with because covenant is a dangerous, scary, risky, obligatory commitment that you make. So when you, when you get to a place in your life where you define your relationship, you've got to ask yourself, where do I stand with God? Where, where am I in all of this? The Bible says Moses knew God because of his ways. The people that Moses pastored knew God because of his acts. Do you know God because of his acts or do you know God because of his ways? David said, I want to be so close to the Lord that all he has to do is move his eyes and I know what direction he wants me to go in. Paul said that we can think the thoughts of God, that we can have the mind of God, we can have the, the heart of God. And where, where are you in all of that? Are you, are you at a place where you have the ability to have that DTR with God and you can define the relationship and say, God, I want more of you. I want to draw closer. I want to become what you want me to be. And you know what? Every time that you get on a different relationship with God, there are new levels of adversity. And I'll show you that. I'll document that in just a minute. So sometimes making an all-out commitment is dangerous. Sometimes making all-out commitment is scary. There was a time in Pastor Ron, our life, our goal was every month that the largest check that we would write out of our check but would go to the church, not to the house payment, not to groceries, not for vitamins, not for Juice Plus, not for this other stuff that we were involved in, but that we wanted our priority financially to be focused on the things of God. And when you come to a place in life where you commit to tithe, you commit to offering, that's a risky place to be because it's a trust place. 
especially when things are limited, your mindset says, well, I can operate better on the 100 than I can on the 90, but here's what God says, that we are kings and priests, and in, in the book of Exodus, when you see the inheritance of the tribe of Levi, it, there were 12 sons, and every son was required to give Levi a tenth. Help me do the math. That's not 10 tenths, that's 11 tenths. Did I lose you? When you're called to be a priest of the Most High God, God watches over you financially. God watches over you physically. God watches over you spiritually to make sure that you have enough to do what He called you to do. Look at somebody and say, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. The third question I'd like to ask you today is that, have you made a decision or have you made a commitment? Chris will tell you he flies a plane. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was airborne, little 60 horsepower, two-seater, open prop. We prayed there was no seagulls that we'd run into. The first thing she said, if we get in trouble, just cross your arms on your five-point harness and tuck your head. I said, what do you mean if we get in trouble? I have no intention of getting, I'm coming up here praying out of the city. I don't want to get hurt or wounded. But the pilot, the pilot as, he, as he approaches that runway, and as he builds up momentum, and he builds up RPM and acceleration, he gets to a place in that, in that takeoff when he begins to pull that, that, that rudder back that he makes a statement to the control tower, control tower that says, I'm committed. And in that commitment, he can't bail out. He can't change his mind. He can't shut it down. Is that the way your relationship with God is? Are you, are you committed or is it just a decision? We sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. The second verse says, no turning back no turning back. The third verse says, though all forsake thee still, I will follow. There's a lot of difference between a decision and a commitment. Smooching is a decision. Marriage is a commitment. Help me out here. You don't fall in love. I mean, that's scary just thinking about just that love is a process that d develops through the weeks and months of dating, communication, priorities, counsel. And all of a sudden you realize I am committed to this person for the rest of my life. Rhonda's parents just celebrated, actually, my parents just celebrated 61 years of marriage. That's a long time to be married to the same woman. I'm telling you. You know what's so funny? In the... <laughs> I mean, it is 61 years to the same, to the same, and the same man, the same man. But you know what is so scary? My mom and dad have been together so much. They've eaten so many meals together. They've done so many crossword puzzles, jigsaw puzzles. They've watched Jeopardy so many times. They've lived in the same environment, the same air conditioning, the same, the same food. They actually look like one another. Can you relate? Your parents actually look like one another. They spent so much time together. And that's what, God, that's what God is asking. God said, I want you to be so committed to me that you start looking like me. I want you to eat my food. I want you to sleep where I want you to sleep. I want you to be what, you, what I want you to be. I want you to get so committed to me that I want us to start looking alike. Now, how, how cool is that? Someone help me and say, praise the Lord. What a great, what a great. Peter said, be careful what you say, especially when you're bragging. Peter said, though everybody else abandons you, I'll, I'll die for you, I'll stay right there. 12 hours later, he's using the F-bomb. He's saying everything is a sailor and a, and a fisherman. Let me tell you something, I've been around some fishermen, they know how to cuss. I mean, they, they can make, a, they can make a, a, a cusser blush. And Peter had to convince everybody he was not with this crowd, he was with that crowd. And so after Jesus resurrects from the grave, he tells Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. Because Jesus knew that Peter would be so hard on himself that he would throw himself under the bus. And Jesus wanted Peter to know, I knew there'd be a bump in the road before I called you. I knew there'd be a miss. I knew you would deny me. I knew you would drop the ball. You can't carry the ball successfully and not get tackled a time or two and fumble. You're not gonna throw every pass a touchdown. There's gonna be some interceptions. God knew when he called us, there'd be some mistakes, there'd be some failures. And when they're all out fishing, they all got back to fishing. Isn't amazing how quick you can get away from Christianity back to the old man. They're back out there fishing. All of a sudden they look and they see Jesus. And, and, and Peter says, it's Jesus and Peter, rushed off and he was the first one there. I thought what was, what was so ironic about that story is that 
Jesus already had fish cooking. It's not that, it's not that you're the only one that can do what God needs to be done, but God is offering you the opportunity to partner with him, to follow his will, so you're blessed by all of his, all of his benefits. Jesus had fish without Peter's help. Before the boat came in, he had fish waiting for them. But Jesus looks at Peter and three times, probably because he denied Christ three times, he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? We can assume that Jesus was pointing to the fish and Jesus said, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. The second question, do you love me more than these? And maybe Jesus was inferring to all the disciples that Peter said, though they all trash you, I'll still follow you. Maybe Jesus was pointing to the, to the rest of the crowd. And Peter said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The third time, I don't know what Jesus was referring to, but he said, do you love me? I guess maybe more than anything else. Do you love me more than life itself? Do you love me more than all the fringe benefits? Do you love me more than all the perks and blessings? And Peter said, Lord, I love you. And with that responsibility, Jesus said, feed my sheep. There is, a, there is a response expected and there's a commitment made and there's a door open and there's a path to walk, a place to follow and a thing to become. He said, if you follow me, I'll make you fisher of men. Around the ranch, we've been having a lot of fun, the, um, the weather. And, you know, if you're around a fisherman very long, he'll tell you when it's time to fish a buzzbait, when it's time to fish a worm. But the past couple of weeks has really not been, uh, unless you have dynamite, has not really been a good week to fish. The fish are not, they don't, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing in the weather that has to take place. And about a week ago, I said, guys, I go, it's time, it's time to catch fish. The fish are going to bite buzzbait at night. They're going to they're bite this lure and bite that lure. And so all this week, I've been watching the guys, some of them for the first time in their life, caught their first bass and you thought there's like a little kid at a carnival or a or a, or a I mean they they were so excited that they actually accomplished something listen if you ever have the opportunity to win somebody to the Lord for the first time it will blow your mind and you will be on cloud line and you'll be in flip-flops and you'll be happy and you'll be excited there's something about reaching into darkness and snatching somebody out and introducing them to Christ and letting them know that there's a better life that God has for them. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation because that, that, is what, that is what we're called to do. Question number four, when he said, follow me, I make you fisher of men. Are you following Jesus or are you following the rules? Growing up in the denomination, my parents took off their wedding bands to be a part of that denomination. There was a season when that denomination did not believe in drinking Coca-Cola. They did not believe in wearing bobby socks. You could not wear culottes or shorts. Most, most were not allowed to play in any kind of public uh, athletic sports because the, because the costume or the cheerleader's costume was considered indecent. If you were a guy, your hair could not touch your ear. You did not shoot pool. And if you went to the movie, you died and didn't just go to hell, you went to hell with your back broke. It, it was called a clothesline mentality. And there was this era that messed with the church that says salvation, Christianity, is all about appearance. And they pulled scriptures completely out of context and made a law for people to live by. And a lot of people grew up following the rules. And something about following the rules, you're always subject to someone else's opinion of what a Christian should look like. But when God made us, he did not take the same cookie cutter and, and, and cast us of the very same shape, the very same design. He made each one of us intricately different, just special made, custom made. God made you like no one else. There, no one else has your fingerprint. No one else have your DNA. You're different, you're special because he ordained it. And serving God is not a list of rules. And what happens when you're raised like that, unfortunately, in, 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 in childhood, we did not have a children's pastor. We did not have a youth pastor. 
but, but we went to church four times a week. But growing up, I never journaled. I didn't have my own devotions. I really didn't read my Bible. So my whole life, I honored my parents' God. I went to the church they chose. I sang the songs they selected. I sat where they wanted me to sit. So I, I did not have the privilege of having a youth group. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have all that. And when I turned 18, it was just a few days. Like the prodigal son, I broke every rule that I was told I couldn't do. I mean, I, I remember my first theater. It was something about vampires. And I was sitting there thinking, if the rapture takes place right now, I'm going to die and go to hell. I remember I, I grew my hair as long as I could immediately. And everything that I was told, I, I couldn't. I, I realized that's a spirit of rebellion. It's a spirit of being 18. I understand all that. But I believe if I'd have had some kind of knowledge about Christ growing up and knew that I could pray and have devotions like Ron and some of the others would, I think maybe my life would have turned out a little different. But I was raised that you had to follow the rules. And when I served the devil, nobody cared what I wore. Nobody cared whether I had socks on or not. Nobody cared if I had a tank top. Nobody cared if my hair was down. It was, it was pretty long. But the moment, no, the second, no, the nanosecond I got saved, everyone had a list of stuff that I had to do to be a Christian. Am I communicating with anybody in the building? There are religions that say you can't have music in the sanctuary. There are religions that don't believe in hell. That they, They've got all of these rules and all these regulations, but if they don't line up with the Word of God, it's fanaticism, and it will hurt you, it will wound you, and it'll keep you from following Christ. I'm not saying forget the rules. There's a reason why the Sadducees and the Pharisees had all their rules so Jesus could come and rock their world and say it's not about do, do this, don't do that. It's all about your commitment in the heart of your relationship to me. What kind of relationship do you want? And are you following Christ or are you just following the rules? My fifth question is this. Are you dying daily or every day are you taking up your cross? Every morning, whether I shave or brush my teeth, when I look at my reflection every morning, without exception, 365 days a year, sometimes twice a day, my reflection will remind me that I wear a cross around my neck. And this cross is two small nails braided together. And so every morning when I walk out the door, I'm reminded subconsciously, sometimes consciously, that I have decided to follow Jesus. And in that following Jesus, there is a cross that I'm required to carry. I made some notes here about the cross, but before I, I wanna give you, we, we all live by slogans and we all live by logos. And of course, Church of the Harvest for 22 years has been people-centered ministry, Christ-centered worship. How many of you did not know that? That has been our, just like you lift your hand. People-centered ministry, Christ-centered worship. A few months ago, we made a transitional shift, and now our, our, our slogan is this, a place where it's okay not to be okay. And, I, and, and we came, I, I, God gave that to us about what he wants the gathering place to be in the next several months, the next several years, a place where it's okay not to be okay. You don't know how many times people have told me, if I came to your church, the roof would cave in. You know what I tell them? We have architecturally went and designed steel glue lamp beams. There's a special section of our church that will not cave in. And if you want to come and sit there, I promise you the roof will not fall in. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I have really had people, I know they're teasing, but they have that mindset. There's no way that I could go to church. There's no way that, that I could become a part of the family of God. Maybe because of the rules, maybe because of, um, somebody made the statement, the, uh, the Islamic man made the statement, I wish I'd have met your Christ before I'd met your Christian. Because we're so critical, we're so negative, it's like the mouse under the chair. Remember the story? A little 12, 14 year old girl won some kind of contest and her reward, she went to England for a week, she saw the changing of the guard. Pastor Ronald saw that, Buckingham Palace is unbelievable. All the, all the queens well. She actually sat at the table with the queen and was able to eat a meal. And right in the middle of that meal, a mouse ran into the, into the pantry and ran into the, in the dining area. And everybody, including the queen, got on the chair. 
So when she came back to America, all of her friends and relatives and, and peeps wanted to know, what, what did you see in England? What, what was it like? What was, and the only thing that she could remember was that the mouse ran in and everybody got on the chair. And a lot of people come to church and the only thing that they can remember is how long the pastor's sermon is, or he's got skinny pants on, or the music's too loud, or the music's not loud enough, or he doesn't have socks on, or he didn't comb his hair. They're, 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 am I helping anybody? Well, they wore hats in church. That's disrespectful. I want to go to church that wears hats. And it, it is so humorous to me sometimes. Don't take your hat off. That was not a, that was not a dig to take your hat off. Wear, wear any hat you want. I don't care. When you got a head like this, don't cover it. But we got a head like, and Chris, Chris and I, perfect head, don't, don't cover it. But Calvin, Christian, I understand why you bad hair day. I understand all of that. But see, a lot of people leave the house of God saying, that's the most unfriendliest church I've ever went to. Or all that church wants is my money. Or all that church talked about was this or that or everything else. And that's not what the kingdom of God is all about. Serving God is a lot more than just rules and regulations and seeing what everybody else thinks or something. There is something about taking up the cross. Okay, let's do a little test. I got some slogans here. I want you to shout out to me what this, what, what advertising company this represents. Are you ready? Melt in your mouth, not in your hand. It's everywhere you want it to be. Visa. The ultimate driving machine, BMW. Just do it. It keeps going and going and going. You're in good hands with. You know, what our, you know what our slogan is? Take up your cross and die every day. Take up your cross and die every day. Not to be placed on a cross and be crucified, but to die to ourselves. Our wants, our desires, our pleasures. Three things about the cross. Number one, it's a place of humiliation. We sometimes make crucifixion so attractive with our lights and our smoke and all of our machines. The Bible says he was crucified naked. We put a loincloth on him. He was slapped. He was ridiculed. He was spit upon. Everything that, every, every kind of, any kind of humiliation that you can possibly consider was done to Christ. And he who had everything, he who had his feet on this earth as his footstool came and washed the feet of this earth. He who had everything became nothing. So we who had nothing could have everything. There's a reason to get excited about that. Place of humiliation. Our hero is not Steven Tyler. Our hero is not Mandisa. It's, it's not Leroy Gibbs. Our hero came here and was buried in the tomb as a failure but as a victor and a savior, he took away the keys of hell and death. He tasted hell and death for every man, so we never have to drink that cup. We never have to taste that. That's what he did for us. The cross is a, the cross is a place of suffering. We've had, through the years, we've had families who when they came here were gay, and they came here they were on drugs, and they came here they were divorced, but God healed, restored, and blessed. But then we get to a place where we don't want to be associated with a hospital. Am I telling the truth? Well, we don't want to go where there's hurting people. We're, we're all that in a bag of chips now. We're not gay anymore. We're not on drugs anymore. We're not divorced anymore. We've got a $100,000 job, new boat, new pool, new car, new house. And all of a sudden, pride steps in, and we want to go to the church of somebody. Listen, serving God is all about humiliation. And serving God is all about suffering. Because I'm going to tell you something. If they hated me, they will abhor you. You think, you think they put me down? They will trash you. They'll lie about you. They'll print negative stuff about you. They'll smear you the best they can because that's the price you pay when you take up your cross and follow Jesus. But aren't you glad that out of the, out of the, out of the ashes, God can raise up a phoenix and you can run that race with patience and be all that you were supposed to be and do everything you can do with the ultimate driving machine because it melts in your mouth, not in your hand? Well, come on, give the Lord a hand, clap of praise. Thank you, Pastor Todd. The third thing about the cross is that it's a symbol of death. 
They taunted him. You saved others. Why can you not come down from the cross and save yourself? Because there was something nailed to the cross. It was a tetragrammaton. It was the unspeakable, unmentionable, all-powerful name of God. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And when the name of God was nailed to that cross, every child that came from the loins of God, from Adam and Eve to Adolf Hitler to Sung Young Moon to Charles Manson to Chris Vernon and all of our children, grandchildren, everything that has the DNA of God would nail that cross and the sins of the past, the present, and the future were all paid for with that one statement nailed the cross. It represents death. Matthew was executed with the sword. Mark was dragged by horses until he was dead. Luke was hung like a, like a, like a, a wrestler. Peter and his wife both were crucified upside down. Thomas was stabbed with a spear. James, the brother of Jesus, was shot full of arrows. James and Paul were both beheaded. Polycarp, one of the disciples of Paul, was tied to a stake and said, if you don't deny Christ, we're gonna set your body to flames. He said, for 67 years, he's not denied me. I'll not deny him now. They set, his, they set the wood at his feet to flames and the flames refused to consume his body. In their frustration, they thrust a spear into his side and the blood that flowed out of his side quenched the flames of that fire. There was another person nailed to a cross and a spear was thrust to his side and the blood that fl flowed from the body of Jesus quenched the flames of hell that you and I deserve and should have wound up there. But instead of a hell, he has redeemed us to a heaven because of his blood. And that ought to get somebody in this house ex excited. Let me conclude with the snuggle theory. Pastor Rhonda said it so well Wednesday night. From the crib to the coffin, it's all about us. We are comfort seekers, not cross bearers. We like the lazy boy, we like the country club, we like the day spa, and we like a blanket with sleeves. 20 million snuggles were sold last year in America alone. 20 million. And a lot of us, we, we like to snuggle up when it's positive, and we like to snuggle up when it's a blessing, but if there's any cost, if there's any commitment, then we abandon that and we pursue our own thing. I remember there was a season in my parents' life. You gotta realize we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday and Friday. There was a season in my parents' life where seven out of every 10 checks that mom wrote went to the Bellflower Church of God. That was a church that they pastored and we were a part of. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. And you can take your checkbook and you can see what is your God. You can see where your treasure is. Am I helping anybody in the building? This is not pop, let's go to another page. Oh, bummer, there's not another page. Oh, here, here there is. Okay, let me, let me conclude with four self-reflective equations. Ready? You ready for this? Question number one, where do you spend your money? Are you worried about the hungry? Are you worried about the missionary? Are you worried about the orphanage? Are you worried, worried about the drug addict? You think it anything at all when you do your budget? Is there anything allotted for missions? Anything allotted for the hungry? Do you find it frustrating every Sunday when pastor asks you to bring a box of Captain Crunch and a jar of peanut butter? Do you get irritated? I want to tell you, there's going to come a day when we're going to stand before God and you're going to be blown away about the reward you got for that box of Captain Crunch and that jar of peanut butter. And you will find me and you will hug me and you will kiss me till the snot runs out of your nose to be glad that someone focused you towards eternity. Someone said, let's clothe the naked. Let's touch the widow. Let's touch the orphan. Let's feed somebody. Because one day you're going to stand before God. And he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you came to see me. Lord, when do we see you naked, hungry, in prison? When you did it to the scum. When you did it to the white trash. When you did it to the trailer trash. You did it unto me. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. I'll give it up for the Lord. The spirit of Pastor Ron is coming upon me. She's a good cop, I'm the bad cop.
Number two. Do you remember the question? Do you remember the, how we start all this? What are you addicted to? Watch this. When you're hurt, where do you go for comfort? A mom was a little jealous because her five-year-old boy, her, fifth, her son in fifth grade was always bragging about his teacher, always. Teacher was awesome, teacher could do no wrong. Teacher did this, teacher did that. Teacher said this, teacher said that. And she was a little jealous. One day she went to school a little early to pick him up. He's the playground. And so she sat there and visited with the teacher a little bit. And all of a sudden he has this horrific wreck, crash and burn, skins his knees, looks up and sees his mom and his teacher and he makes a beeline. Guess to who? Not the teacher, who's his hero, but to his mom, who's his comfort. What? Let's get started with that. All together, one, two, three. Oh. Where do you run when you're being chased? What do you do when you're attacked? When you fall down the spirit and get hurt, where do you run to? Jack Daniel? Oxycontin? Shopping? The refrigerator? They call it comfort food for some reason or another. You know what you're addicted to when you know where you spend your money. You know who you run to when you're under attack. Let me ask another question. What disappoints or frustrates you the most? What disappoints or frustrates you the most? When you answer those questions, you might realize that some of your priorities are out of whack. And you realize the things that's disappointing you, the thing that's frustrating you, has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It has to do with peer pressure. It has to be keeping up with everybody else, dressing like everybody else, having a nice car like everybody else, spending the same money of everybody else, and your priorities are out of, all out of whack. And you're not addicted to the things of God, you're addicted to the things of the world. Question number four, then we'll read our text and be done. What floats your boat? We had expression when we, in the 70s, we would say, man, I'm stoked. I remember that. Man, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Steve Parker, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. God's awesome. God's awesome. What excites you? Leading that soul to Jesus or catching that 10-pound bass? What excites you? Praying for someone that's sick to get healed or winning 10 bucks on the lottery? You, you spent $50 winning 10. Go figure. Just a thought. What excites you? If you'll tell me what excites you, I'll tell you what you're addicted to. About twice a week, I get to spend an hour with the guys. I'm addicted to that. I, I love being able, through experience, to maybe help them bypass or detour some bumps in the road that I didn't. So my experience of what I've recovered, helpfully, it helps them and I want them to know that I believe in them. You know why? Because they're good enough for Jesus, they're good enough for me. And if he died for them, then I've got to live to bless them and help them grow and be what God's called them to be. So what, what pumps you up? What, what, what excites you? What, have you ever invested an hour in Queen for a day? Have you ever went to food pantry when 30 families line up every other week and the only food they get is from us? And you see that appreciation that, and maybe there's no appreciation whatsoever. I go months without anybody except Facebook telling me, Pastor, that was a great sermon. Pastor, your word changed my life. I go months. I don't do it for your applaud. I don't do it for your money. I do it because this stokes me. This turns me on. This is groovy, far out and funky. And you don't want to hear the other terms, I promise you. 1 Corinthians 16. May I have five minutes to show you three things? Verse 8. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. 
Ephesus, the church, they did all the right things, but they lost their first love. For a great door and effectual is open unto me. So here's what Paul is saying. I'm staying at Ephesus until March because there's things happening right now in Ephesus. A great door is open for me and effectually I'm seeing things happen. There's, there's results to my ministry. There's, there's product here to my investment. But watch what he says. And there are many adversities. I'm telling you, new levels, new devils. The closer you get to God, you watch Jesus. When he was getting ready to step into ministry, the enemy tried to intimidate him for 40 days. Lied to him, tried to set him up, tried to tempt him, tried to mess with him. When you get closer to God or the things of God, the more the enemy is going to fight you. And the more adversity is going to come against you. People will make fun of you for your commitment. Make fun that you come and win it. Make fun that you bring clothes. Make fun that you give a dog. Make fun of you. Laugh at you. And they will laugh until the bottom falls out of their boat. And when they get in a head-on collision, or they find they self they have age, or their husband leaves them, guess who they don't call? Their beer-drinking, poker-playing buddies. Now, poker, another wrong poker. I've just, I've just told that out there. You know what they want to call? Who is a prayer warrior? Who knows how to pray? Who has results in their ministry? Who has not let me down? That's the ones they, they might make, they make, make fun of you publicly, but in their heart of hearts, they know there's something real here. And when they decide to get real with God, they're gonna come to you and you're gonna lead them to God that they need. Watch this. Now, if Timothy come, what youth, this is for you, listen carefully. If Timothy come, see that he may be with you without fear. Don't make fun of him because he's a teenager. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. I love this. Paul is the mentor. Timothy is the Timothy, the disciple. And Paul has so instructed Timothy that now Timothy has stepped out of that place of, of ignorance, stepped out of that place of idiocracy, and he's become effective like Paul. You don't have to wait till you're 30 to be used by God. You have to wait till you're 20 to be used by God. Samuel was 12. Esther was 13. David was 16. Joseph was 17. Right now is a season God wants to work miracles through you. God wants to see your prayers answered. God wants to see your friends saved. God wants to see you to pull praying and hundreds praying with you. That's your destiny. That's your inheritance. That's your legacy. And the Apostle Paul has stamped his approval upon your youth. He said, let no man despise your youth. See, they don't go through all the cloud of stuff we go through. Their head's not filled with pornography. Their head's not filled with drugs. Their head's not filled with alcohol. They don't have to sort all that stuff. A lot of us have got to get a breakthrough before we can touch God. Help me. Because we've got all this stuff on us, all this guilt, all this shame, all this, all this, all this junk. But they go right straight to the throne of God. How precious when a child prays for someone in faith believing. Paul goes on. As touching our brother Apollos, notice Paul doesn't throw him under the bus. I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. Paul very nicely just spanked Apollos. Apollos was not a Timothy. Apollos was a friend. Someone that Paul saw eye to eye with. And Paul saw in Apollos, there is a, an ability here. There's a talent here. There's a blessing here. There's an anointing here. Apollo, I need you. It's time for us to go and do the work of the Lord. But Paulo says, I don't have the time. I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. When, when I get a moment or two, I'll let you know, and I'll come do something with you. Listen, there's got to come a day in your life when you grow up. Wow, that went over. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Never mind. Forget all that. Just stay a child. Don't grow up. Okay, let's go on. Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Let all things be done with charity, with love. And watch this. I beseech you, brethren, parentheses, Hold that thought just for a minute. I beseech you, brethren. That word beseech is the strongest word you can use to commit. It's like walking up to somebody 
and just saying, wake up, wake up, listen, 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 listen. That's what the word beseech means. So here's what Paul wants you to do. I beseech you, brethren, parentheses, look at somebody say parentheses. You know the house of Stephanus and the first fruit of Acacia and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I didn't find this in any book. I didn't see this on any take, T.D. Jakes. No one has ever, I found this on my own. And I realize why people get addicted to stuff because God has put in your spirit an addictive nature to be addicted to the ministry of the saints. And here's what Paul I beseech you, brethren, parentheses, the way that Stephanus and Acacias have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, to be encouragers, to bring the food, to bring the clothing, to bring the prayer, to, 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 to do the marquee, to cut the grass, to sow in the offering, be addicted to the ministry of saints. I am that you submit yourselves unto such, what? The addiction of ministry to the saints. God is asking you to be addicted to brotherly love. The Bible says they will know you are Christians by their love. Love for one another, ministering one to another, submitting to one another, encouraging one another, building up one another. Let's read on. I am glad that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunaeus and Acacius for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. So addicted to the ministry of the gospel, they made sure that Paul didn't have anything that he needed. What the Corinthian church had committed to take care of, they weren't able to, so these three people did. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. I'll stop right there. Said so much in eight verses. Eight, verse 8 to 18. Honor Timothy. Don't despise his youth. Apollos couldn't make it because he didn't have the time. I remind you of, of, of Priscilla and Acacia, their addiction to the ministry of saints. Be like them for the needs that I had, they met. Love one another. Do everything in love. Bottom line, David. Bottom line, Lisa, Jerry, Linda. Be addicted to something. Something has got to float your boat. Something has got to rock your world. Something got to wake you up. Something got to motivate you. Something got to inspire you. Whether it's catching a 10-pound bass, winning the lottery, going shopping, or leading someone to the Lord, you need a priority. You need a focus. You need one thing on your list that's more important than anything else. And Paul said, I would that you be addicted to the ministry of the saints. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.